0: Uh, we'll talk in a couple minutes, buddy. All right. So, please, let's turn uh, our uh, Word of God to Romans 15. uh, We're going to look at verses 8 through 13. So, if you could turn Romans 15, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God today. Romans 15, starting in verse 8. This is the word of the Lord. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. In hope, please be seated. Roughly uh, two thousand years ago, there was a old Jewish man named Simeon, who loved God and who was filled by the Holy Spirit. And he was at the temple one glorious day in Jerusalem, and he was waiting for the Messiah as prophesied in Scripture. It didn't matter that it had been 400 years of silence. He knew God was on the move. It had been a very difficult time for the Jewish people. Their temple had been uh, desecrated. The the emperor of the Roman uh, Empire, Pompey, had entered several years before and had actually come into the Holy of Holies for simple curiosity and mockery. But Simeon knew God was faithful and he trusted with all his heart in the promises of God. A young couple entered the temple with a child that day. And when Simeon saw the infant Savior, Jesus Christ, the old man uttered these words we now find in Luke. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence, get this, of all peoples. A light of revelation, get this, to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Here is Simeon, a Jew, declaring that salvation has been prepared in the presence of all peoples. Not just for Israel, but for the Gentiles. Which is everyone else besides the Jews. Simeon, who was filled by the Spirit, who knew the Scriptures intimately, understood this Messiah wasn't a revolutionary figure coming to rescue Israel from the Romans. No, he he was the rescuer of the nations. Jew first and also the Greek. As our passage in Romans today reminds us, Christ came for all nations. And consider this marvelous truth for a moment. As we sit in this school in Indian Trail, North Carolina, with the vast majority of us being Gentiles, God, who called Abraham out of Ur in the Middle East to establish a people unto himself, has through a glorious plan of redemption called us, a predominantly Gentile people, unto himself thousands of years later in North America. I mean, look around, people. This is incredible. I mean, Christianity wasn't born here. The Bible didn't come bound in leather with chapter and verses already ascribed. We, we we have the word of God today because God in his sovereign mercy and power raised up men, starting with the Jews like Paul, to bring the gospel to all the nations. Now, if you remember from the past two weeks, we have been discussing the issue of strong ...and weak Christians... ...and the relationship between Jew and Gentiles. In our passage today... ...these are closing verses... ...from Paul discussing the strong and weak brothers. Paul has already discussed... ...how we are with one voice... ...to glorify God. The weak and the strong together in Christ. The Jew and the Gentile... ...together in Christ. We are to be one in Christ... ...glorifying God together... Why? Well, take a look at verse 8 of your text, and this is what Paul says. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm God's promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. The Jews were to rejoice That God had fulfilled his promise to them. The Gentiles were to rejoice that God had shown them mercy. And Jew and Gentile were to be unified together in Christ, marveling and rejoicing at his grace and mercy to both the weak and the strong. Now, the Jews were to rejoice because Christ became a servant to the circumcised, the Jews. To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Now, let's stop right there. Put your finger in Romans and turn to Hebrews 6, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, while someone figures out whose alarm is it. We're all going to look. If you get up, we know who you are. Okay, go to, go to Hebrews chapter 6. Recall what Blair read in Hebrews 6. And we're going to uh, look at verse... 13. This is what Hebrews 6 verse 13 says. For when God made a promise to Abraham, he, God, had no one greater to whom to swear. Now, isn't that awesome that that God is the Alpha and, uh, and Omega? There is no one else to swear by. Who, who, who is he going to swear by? Angels? Man? I don't think so. He swore by himself. Saying to Abraham, Abraham, I will bless you and I will multiply you. Now, farther down in Hebrews 6, it says this, for it is impossible for God to lie. It says Abraham patiently waited and he obtained the promise. What was the fulfillment of God's promise given to the patriarchs, given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? What was it? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming to save them. Coming to rescue the Jews from their sin. You see, the Jews were in need as much as the Gentiles of a Savior. The Jews had been unfaithful to God. The Jews had given God every reason to deny them. The Jews had disobeyed God time and time again. They had been an idolatrous people. They were keeping their idols in the high places. It was by God's grace that a remnant of faithful believers like Simeon were clinging to the promises of God and walking with God. But it was only a remnant of the Jewish people who had true faith. And yet God, being a God who keeps his promise, sent Christ to minister first to the Jews who were descendants of the great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, because God is a God who keeps his word. And the Jews were to rejoice, rejoice in God's faithfulness. But that's not all Paul says. Look back again at Romans 15, verse 8. We're going to read it again. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm God's promise given to the patriarchs. And, oh, that's a great and there, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. In the same way, the Jews are to glorify God for His truthfulness, the Gentiles are to glorify God for His mercy. The fact is, God is merciful to both Jew and Gentile. But considering His promise made to Abraham, we Gentiles are to be in wonder and awe at the fact That God would extend that salvation, not only to the Jews, but to all nations. That he would use Jews like Paul in such powerful ways to spread the gospel message to the Gentiles. This is amazing grace. And what is the Gentiles response to be to this grace? Well, Paul, in our passage, cites four verses From the Old Testament, the Old Testament, not the New Testament, the Old Testament, pointing to God's mysterious plan of salvation, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. We see the Gentiles are to do the following things. We are to praise God. We are to rejoice in God. We are to extol God. And we are to have hope in God. We, we as Gentiles are to be in wonder of God's mercy. Paul, in Romans chapter 9, says this. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory, Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. We as both Jew and Gentile Christians can say with one voice, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. With, with one voice and one mind, we are to receive one another into the body of Christ because Christ did so for us. If Jew and Gentile can come together in Christ, what about the rich and the poor? What about the slave and the free? What about black and white? What about every nationality? In Acts 10.34... It says this, it says, Peter opens his mouth, which, you know, you never know. You never know what's coming out of Peter's mouth. And I'm not throwing stones, because I don't think any of us should throw stones at Peter. But it says, Peter opens his mouth. But he was filled with the Spirit, and he said this. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, every nation, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, India, China... Nigeria, Argentina, every nation. Anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. God shows no impartiality. Galatians three twenty seven twenty eight says this for as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You see how beautiful a picture this is? I mean, think of the caste system and how terribly inhumane and hopeless it is. Think of what we did in this country with slavery and racism. Think of how we treat children in this culture of selfishness and abortion on demand. And, and how we view the rich and the famous. The, the poor versus the downtrodden. Those with power and those without. The beautiful versus the ugly. How differently our culture views these extremes. But then look, look at the church of Jesus Christ. And how we are all to be one in Christ. We are to be loving and rejoicing with one another. This just cries out as beautiful. The the church in Christ is the definition of true community. This should be the place where we find sacrificial love. Because our souls are all anchored to the same foundation. Jesus Christ. Who is the very source of love and joy. Paul closes our passage in Romans with a benediction by saying this in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You know what what is hope? What is hope? I we, we seem to be a culture and a society obsessed with the idea of hope. In 2008, there was an, an entire political campaign with this message, and it resonated with people. We saw it on po- posters, bumper stickers. What is hope? You know, the way we use the term hope in our day-to-day life is this. This is, this is kind of how we use it. It's a feeling of expectation and desire for something to happen. In other words, it's longing for something whose outcome is uncertain. I'll give you a very sad example of this in my own life recently. We were uh, with uh, at my wife's home in Jacksonville, North Carolina, visiting them, I think it was last week. And uh, we had brought along our five young children out of the goodness of our heart. And... Uh, we were we were tired and, and I was very hopeful because I wanted to go on a date with my wife. Is that so wrong? OK, now, preferably just the two of us. That, that was what I was hoping for. Now, the day we were to leave, uh, well, it was actually the day before we had still not gone on a date. we had been there five days and I, I you know, I was still very hopeful. And the time came in the afternoon where my my sweet mother in law said, OK, you can go. I mean, she gave us permission to go. And so we bounded out of the house like little kids. And, you know, I cried, Freedom from the porch! Um, we ran to the car. The car started. <laughs> it great. Everything was going fine. I put it in reverse. The transmission worked. Um, and as I'm backing out, I went two feet off the driveway. Two feet. And uh, no problem. I'm in a Suburban. It's a tank, people. I put it into drive. I hit the gas... At, we go absolutely nowhere. My tires are spinning. There's mud flying. Well, even then, even then, I had hope, you see, because, I, I mean, this is a suburban. So reverse drive, reverse drive. You know, we've all been there, and it's just ridiculous. You know, after a while, you're like, okay, we're not going anywhere. But I had hope, you see, because I saw gravel, and I, so I'm, I'm there throwing gravel under the tire, and there's even a, a piece of wood nearby. This is so convenient. I had hope. So I grab the piece of wood, I shove it under there, and it did absolutely no good. None. We're stuck. Completely stuck. We haven't even, the, the house is right there. We, we have not gone anywhere. So I'm like grabbing the steering wheel like you see on movies, you know, it just, but my hope is still there. So I try a couple more times, and then I sulk into the house. And uh, I didn't want to take my mother-in-law's vehicle. No, I was, I'm stuck in the mud. You know, it's uh, just, that, that's where we are. I, I think the, the, the real nail in the coffin of my hope came when my wife came in, and she said, you know, sweetie, since you're stuck in the mud, I'm going to go on a date with my mom to Goodwill. And she, she drove off. <laughs> and as I watched her drive off into the sunset... I can't describe the hopelessness. It's, it's like being a conservative in the Republican Party. You're just like, oh. So, um, what's my point? There is a point to this. When the Bible talks about hope, it isn't talking about some weak, uncertain, wish upon a star type hope. When the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about something that is certain. Something that cannot fail, that is based on the promise of a God who cannot lie. Hebrews 6 describes a Christian hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul because our hope is in Jesus Christ. It is for this reason we can be unified because our souls are anchored to the same foundation. Well, you might be thinking today. I just don't have that hope. And if you're saying that today, let me present you with a couple possibilities. The first possibility is this. Your faith in God might actually just be head knowledge of God. And you've never placed your trust in God. We've all at one point done trust falls, right? Uh, typically at events where you're just like, why am I here? Uh, you know where you fall back into a crowd of people under the assurance that they will catch you. You might know that you, they are behind you in your brain. You might actually agree, yes, they're capable of catching you, but it's only when you actually trust and fall backward that you have placed your faith in them. Faith in Christ is placing your life in the arms of God and saying, you alone do I trust for my salvation. When you speak, I listen. When you promise, I believe what you say is truth. And once you are in union with Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit works in you to bring forth hope in the promises of God. Hebrews 11, one says, faith is the assurance, the assurance of things hoped for. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. The second possibility, if you don't feel hope in Christ today. Is that you are indeed a child of God with saving faith in Christ but maybe you have made provision for sin in your life Romans 13:14 says this put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires we can indeed grieve the holy spirit Ephesians 4:30 Which does not affect our union. This is important. It does not affect our union with Christ. But it most definitely affects our communion with Christ. Just like marriage. When I don't treat my dear wife the way God calls me to be. I harm my communion with her. Our communion with God is affected when we remain in sin. As Christians we are no longer slaves to sin. Romans 6:17. We have been set free from sin. We are now slaves the Bible says of righteousness. If you are not seeing real victories over your sin, it's time to go to battle through the power of the Holy Spirit. For the gospel proclaims we can have freedom in Christ here and now. And if that does not give you hope, I don't know what does. The third possibility, if you don't feel hope in Christ today, is that you are indeed a child of God with saving faith. But you are still like an infant in your faith. Second Peter 3.18 says this, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In order to have hope, you must feast on the truths of God found in Scripture. Feast on them and trust them. Now, I'm going to read one more passage of Scripture. I would love for you all to turn there with me. Because this passage just sums up everything we've talked about today. And it's found in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. And it's amazing. When I'm preparing for a sermon, you're just... You don't know which passages to choose because there's so many wonderful passages. And that's why we feast on the word, because the more you read the word, the more you're like, this is incredible. And and it gives you hope because the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to stir our hearts. And you just you're just amazed by it. Well, this is one of those passages that I was just reading and I'm like, well, this is it. So I'm going to close. So so let's read it together. First Peter one, three through seven. According to his great mercy, there's that mercy language, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, listen to what this inheritance is, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Anybody going through trials today? You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith... More precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire. May be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, that is us. You love him. Though you do not see him now, that's us. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is, get this, inexpressible. Inexpressible. And filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Brethren, if that does not fill your heart with hope. Beg God for it. Pray to God alone today on your knees. Asking God to fill you with the hope. That can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through faith in Christ. Anybody? Going through suffering today? I, I know. We, we see the prayer list. I know there's suffering. There's There's been plenty of suffering even in my own family. I, I, suffering, it, it, the trials of life are so difficult at times. The pain is so great at times. And what does Romans 5 say? It says that in suffering, even in suffering, that when we are in Christ, what does that ultimately produce? produces hope. What is going to keep us as a church unified? As, as wonderful as a building would be, as, as, a, as what a blessing a building would be, what an instrument a building would be, a building will not keep us unified. A building is not our hope. What is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. He is is our soul's anchor. We are Christ's bride, the church. Let us with one voice proclaim to all the nations our hope found in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we ask forgiveness. We ask forgiveness, Lord, that we at times have had a weak faith, that, Lord, we have not run to you for every need, that, Lord, we have often tried to make our own path when what we truly needed to do was seek your face, to feast on your word, to come humbly in prayer, to repent from our sins and, Lord, to love You more and more each day. Lord, I just pray that You would give us hope through the power of the Holy Spirit and that, Lord, we might be in Christ joyful and hopeful that, Lord, what You say is true. In Christ's name, amen.